Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. I am one of your hosts, James, and with me today is Joe. Good day, folks. And Chris. Hi there. And uh, we've talked about this on and off throughout the course of the show so far. It came up definitely in our first couple episodes, and it's come up with our previous guests, um, John and Adrian. Uh, But today we're going to take a little special emphasis and talk about gaming at Mint Condition. Um, I know gaming is a broad topic. Uh, sometimes when we think of gaming, it automatically just because it's so big in the um, pop culture versus is like video gaming. But our focus today will be more of the collectible card games that were played at Mint Condition. And maybe we'll branch off into, into other gaming as well today. Uh, you know, we collectible card gaming was actually one of the things that that brought me to the store and connected me to many of our previous guests, such as Josh and John. Um, and, and one of your current hosts, Chris, brought us together. So... Uh, we're going to step back and look at gaming in, in Mint's history. And uh, figure, Joe, since um, since you were one of the owners of the store, maybe you could recount um, some of the stuff you've previously said about gaming, but also some some of your other memories about um, collectible card games in Mint Condition. Okay. Uh, well, as you guys know, and as we've uh, expounded upon before, I never got into the gaming uh, into the game playing per se because it was just too it was above my pay grade, I guess. I don't know. But... Um, for me, the gaming, when I, when I think of the condition, I think of gaming, I think of Friday afternoon magic drifts. That was the um, uh, the lifeblood of the store, just about, especially in the, in the, in the, in the later years. Really kept things going. And, and those kids really kept me going, too, in, in a good way. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, they would get under your skin. But, um, yeah, Magic the Gathering. We had Magic the Gathering drafts on a Friday afternoon. Uh, sometimes during the week, we would, uh, we'd have some uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, uh, gameplay. And on Monday nights, uh, I don't think I mentioned this previously, uh, but Monday nights we had Hero Clicks, and um, cool. Oh, yes, very we, cool. Yeah, and they, they, that game I was learning. Uh, unfortunately, then we had to shut the store, and it was too late for me to really get, you know, get any, prof- any proficiency in that game. But uh, they were teaching me how to play that game, and I've got a story about the the great um, giant figure controversy that I can tell later on that really put a divide in the in the in the uh, Hero Clicks. Uh, uh, clientele uh, that uh, just uh, kind of exploded out of nowhere. But um, yeah, you know, uh, that's basically uh, what I remember mostly about uh, main condition in, in games. It's mostly magic, Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, Pokemon, Pokemon cards sold the best. I mean, we'd sold more Pokemon cards than anything, but we never had any Pokemon tournaments. And then, of course, um, with the gaming and with Yu-Gi-Oh! and uh, and Magic the Gathering and Pokemon, we did work those into the parties as themes in the parties. And I was always, you know, white knuckled, uh, fearful when that was the case. I wanted to do only sports parties. <laughs> so, you know, so when it came to a, a Yu Gi Oh or a Magic or a Pokemon, I would naturally ask people, uh, you know, uh, that, that you both, both you guys know, uh, to help me out at those parties because I had no idea what the hell I was doing with, with, with those. Uh, those uh, particular uh, games. So yeah, those, those are my um, cool reminiscences of, um, of the condition and, and cards. Would you um, just like kind of like from where you were in the era of, of like when Mint condition and towards the end of it, like how, how much of like the, how much of the stores, I guess, business was in like, like gaming versus like the comics and collectibles and toys and stuff like that. The last year, the final year when things were going pretty badly, um, if it wasn't for magic, the gathering on a Friday afternoon, 
when between 15 and 20 kids would come in every every Friday afternoon and buy at least three packs because they needed three packs to draft from. It wasn't for that. Um, I, would, I might have missed some dinners at times. That's how bad things were. So that really kept things afloat. And um, uh, they were there the last Friday before we shuttered the store on the following Wednesday. And that was the last thing we basically did. And they came in with a cake and everything for me. So um, I really miss those kids. They tortured me. They drove me crazy, but I love them and I miss them. <laughs> no, and I, I, I only bring that, I, I didn't like, you know, not to bring up like the painful memory when the store closed, but I kind of no, just okay. wanted to like emphasize the fact that how, how big gaming was, it I was guess, in condi- yeah. condition, you know, you think of like comic books and collectible store. And, you know, I, I think when, I mean, I, Richie's not here um, to say it, but I think gaming was a big part of the store when he was, we, he was running it too. Um, yeah. Because oh, sure. at that you know, and Chris, I, this kind of I guess, dovetails nicely into you. And I know you've told this origin story, but I think you started, I mean, coming to Mint or being more involved with, with because of the Pokemon collectible card game, right? That's, yeah. I mean, that's the reason Rich hired me uh, was because I I would get really enthusiastic about Pokemon and, um, and I might be up at the counter talking and then somebody would come in, especially the parents would come in looking for Pokemon cards and I would sort of guide them through, uh, you don't need that, you do want this. You can, you know, you know, you don't need that, but it might be helpful. Like, and I could walk them through what to buy because, you know, the more people who are buying, the more people who are playing, the more people I had to play with. So, I mean, did you, so I guess, I guess since Joe gave his recollection, like, so what was your, like, was Pokemon your introduction card? Cause I know you played, you were like one of the card game people. I know Pokemon was more of your, you know, your domain at the store when you were working there, but like, what got you into collectible card gaming? It was Magic the Gathering. Um, for sure. My friends, a bunch of my friends were playing magic and, um, and I was playing magic as early as, as elementary school. We'd, uh, at lunchtime, we'd, uh, we'd have milk crates out behind the, the school, you know, behind the kitchen and we'd sit on the milk crates and we'd, we'd play magic. Um, so that was my introduction to, to gaming beyond video games. Uh, you know, I play Nintendo and super Nintendo. Uh, so, Magic the Gathering, and then uh, I got into Overpower because there was part of me, and this is still sort of true, um, but there was part of me that wanted a game that was that I felt like I I was invested in from the from the floor from the you know from the from the bottom floor, um, and that I could teach to other people. Magic was one that I was that was introduced to me, and so I came in. I mean, later like a lot of people, but um, but Overpower was the one that I was trying to, which was uh, Marvel characters, heroes and villains going at it. Um, and then never really, really took, but magic. And then, and then yes, Pokemon uh, was a big one for me. Cause I liked the video game so much, the Game Boy game. And, uh, and then after that was like uh, the two that I played with you, James would have been um, Lord of the Rings and young and um, uh, young Jedi. Yes. Uh, I was just going to take a moment. I was like, wow, overpower. I completely forgot about overpower. It takes, yeah. It takes yeah because it never, it never <laughs> got big at the store. I know the mint sold packs because that's part of, that's where I bought some of them. Um, and I had a ton of overpower cards, but um, but I didn't really have anybody who wanted to play with me. Everybody was perfectly happy to keep playing Magic the Gathering. Um, so that was just sort of, so I had all these overpower cards and uh, I'm pretty sure I got rid of them because just, uh, you know, I didn't play for years and years and years. And um, and then I got out of card games basically all together for a while. So uh, yeah, so overpower was my thing for a little bit along with Magic, but Magic is what introduced me to collectible card gaming. Um, and magic lasted probably as long as just about anything else. That was probably the, that and Pokemon were probably the last, the last games that I No, You know what? Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings is probably what closed it out for me. 
Oh, yeah, Lord of the Rings was definitely what closed it out for me too. But I have I have to ask Chris just because um, you, Magic, I guess, brought you brought you into the gaming world. So why why did you pull away from it in favor of Pokemon? Like, what what was the attraction of Pokemon? Was it the ground well, floor thing? I was so I was playing both of them sort of simultaneously. But I like competition, um, not for everything that I do. Like, I didn't feel the need to excuse me to to really get into like Lord of the Rings tournaments or anything. But I did for Magic, excuse me, and for Pokemon, and. Um, and the competition for magic is incredibly fierce when you we would go to a, a place called Neutral Ground in, in the city. And yeah. uh, it, was, it was not that far from Penn Station, so it was an easy walk. And, uh, you know, you'd go all the way upstairs and they'd have, they'd have comics and stuff, but they'd have, like, all this gaming space. Um, and, and it was great. But, you know, magic competition, because it's for, because these cards were, at the time, they were worth, and they are now too, but, I mean, even, even then... They were worth so much money and you had so many people competing. And then, you know, you actually could play magic for money. Um, the competition was just brutal. And you, and if you didn't play like one of three lists, you weren't going to get anywhere. And magic is a game where you don't necessarily need to be a great player. If you have a great deck, that might be enough, you know? Um, so there was a little bit of a pay to play element. And with Pokemon, when I was playing it, it was still a very, a very young game and those cards weren't worth nearly then what they are worth now. Um, you know, it was a little more, a little more casual. Like we still wanted to compete with one another, but like it, it, people didn't take it as personally. Um, I, I just, I liked the people I played with better. Um, so I think that's really what got me out of magic was magic really became pay to play. It became so expensive to keep up with. And I didn't, there were a lot of good people at the store playing magic. But if you look at the wider magic community, there were like rules lawyers who would like jump on you for the slightest little thing. Uh, there were people who would try and like hurry you while playing to try and hurry you into a mistake. Uh, there wasn't a lot of sportsmanship. And so while I did want to complete compete, you know, this wasn't going to be my career. I was never going to try and compete for money. So I was all too happy to to get out of to get out of magic. No, that makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, me, me personally, and I've said this before with the other guests that we've had on the past, but, um, you know, I think I got into the Star Wars collectible card game first, and it really wasn't, I don't know if it was to play, just because at that time, it was, it was the Renaissance, that's when the special, I mean, my mind, memory could be completely off here, so, but, but, if you, but it seemed like that was the Star Wars beginning of the Renaissance, leading up to the special editions and everything, so... Yeah. 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 So the Star Wars collectible card game was another thing to collect, which, you know, I was collecting everything Star Wars, but there was something about, I don't know, cards that, you know, was very, I don't know, enticing to collect, I guess. It's very satisfying. It is very satisfying. It's especially, very satisfying. Yeah. Especially when you opened up the rare card and it's like a main character, at least for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also you can open packs with other people, add things to your collection. Um, no, I think, you know, there's a reason that Magic and Pokemon have lasted so long. And it's not because the the game design is brilliant. The, the game design of, of magic is very good, but it is, and it's withstood this, the test of time, but the design of Pokemon from a game design standpoint, it's not particularly well-designed. There's nothing in there that makes you go, wow, this is a really well-designed game. Um, it mostly stands, stands the test of time because of, because of the theme, because of, because it's Pokemon. Um, but also because there is something satisfying about, about collecting all of the things. So so I absolutely hear you on that, James. Yeah, and, and also and yeah, and also I at the time also, and Joe, maybe you'll remember this too, mm-hmm. Marvel was putting out like cards, like card series at the time too. Yep. Like they'd have the Marvel collectible card game. So mm-hmm. I was like I was already like um 
what do you say, like pre predisposed to buying packs of cards just to co- just to collect collect the whole set because I would I collected like the first three or four sets of like Marvel trading cards and then and then they would branch off and did the Marvel masterpieces and the X Men master. I'm sure Joe, you remember all those cards. Yeah, I had the Marvel cards, the DC cards. I had the Star Trek Next Generation cards. I, right, I, I purchased all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, See, and that's good. I was going to ask you about that, Joe, because I I don't know Joe and James where you guys fall on this, and it's a, it's a very very slight detour, but I think it's relevant. How frequently did you find yourselves buying comics that you only half enjoyed, but you were keeping the series running because you thought it would come back to itself? Because I did that with JLA. Even the stories I didn't necessarily love, I was looking for back issues. I was trying to complete my run of JLA. But there were other stories like Detective Comics that was so far ahead that I was never going to complete it. And then other series that I was like, no, I'll just buy the stories that I like. So, Joe, James, what about like how far does your completionism extend? Oh, deep. I mean, listen, I, I stayed with books. <laughs> I mean, listen, well, well, first, I'll make a confession on this. I, in the beginning, like, I was really in it for the artwork. So I wasn't reading as much as collecting artwork and oh, collecting, sure. and, collecting yeah. um, and collecting comics that were coming out in an issue because, like, I was a completionist. So I didn't really read the full Jim Lee X-Men number. And I always go back to that because that was, like, a big pinnacle thing. X-Men number one by Jim Lee was, like, huge. I mean, to the point where... Joe, I think probably when you sold the store, there were still number one issues of Jim Lee's X-Men number oh, one yeah, in the basement of big condition. Marvel sold five million of those. Right. And um, so so like it took me a while, but um, but but you know, because I wasn't reading, collecting for the artwork always, like I oh my god, I stayed every I think every store, every comic book I collected, I probably stayed too long, um, even if the like the story wasn't great. Because I, you know, when, and even when we when I was working at the store and that was when I was really reading comics, like I would stay with certain books longer than than I probably should have. I mean, I think the the things that pop into mind is like, um and looking back at it now, I probably would appreciate it and more, but there was there was times in the Peter David Hulk run that I, I had all of those issues and I was like, what are we doing with the Pantheon? I don't understand what the Pantheon is. <laughs> I don't know if this is good storytelling, but I'm going to keep getting it because it's Hulk. It's Incredible Hulk. And, yeah, like Incredible no, Hulk. No, that's, and I think that's valid too. I think that's, we all have our different things. Some of us, you know, it depends on what it is, but, but I've definitely done that with board games where I'm buying expansions for a game that I like, even though I don't necessarily like the expansions or get it to the, excuse me, get to the table often enough. Um, so what about you, Joe? Oh, well, you know, after 56 years of comic book reading, yeah, I, I always stay my welcome uh, uh, many times on many different titles. And it wasn't until, I guess, the third or fourth year, 2014 is the third year of the new 52, that I started dropping things. I remember I was in, uh, at the time I was in uh, uh, Grasshopper Comics, and I uh, brought a, a few comics up to the, uh, the counter, and John said, the owner, said, you're not, you're not buying action comics, the new action comics? You're a big Superman fan. I said, I can't read this anymore. It's not Superman, it's Super Nazi. He goes around beating people up. Superman doesn't beat people up. That's not the way he solves problems. It's Batman's gig. And uh, so, yeah, I stopped. Low blow, low blow, Joe. Not, well, yeah, not I know it's low blow. Sorry about that, Chris. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, if Superman would hit somebody and not pull his punch and not pull it to the point of almost, you know, not throwing it, he turned their head into a, into a pomegranate. So no, you can't. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't be slugging it out with normal, normal uh, criminals. But um, I, I jumped off and on. And you know what else uh, stopped me from reading? Uh, uh, jumping off the, the constant rebooting, especially once we get past 2010. Once we get past the the new 52, and 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 you know Marvel's doing it now, and DC's doing it now. Just constant no, new number ones and constant rebooting. Um, it's 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 a, it's very off putting. And you get to the point where I don't have to. I don't have to collect this anymore. It's just, why am I wasting my money on this? The stories aren't very good, 
uh, the art isn't that good, and it's just uh, I don't recognize the characters. So yeah, uh, it, it, it happened more often than you would think with me being a lifelong collector and reader. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, there were times in the Batman runs too. I think I think I was still collecting Batman Detective after Bruce Wayne Fugitive and stuff like that, and I really wasn't liking the stories or reading the stories. With it. I mean, Chris, you might have remembered this a little bit better than I do, but you know, we had like you know all the events that were coming out too, kind of like. I, when the events would come, I like, collect everything for an event, and sometimes would hang on to some of those books after the event. And I would be like, "Why yeah. am I still reading this book? Like yeah. the event's over, and I really, I don't either. I don't like the writing. I don't connect with the story. I'm not even reading the story because there's so much. There's so much coming out that there, there, there was a period of time so much was coming out, and I was collecting so many different titles that it was like it was sort of a chore to get through your weekly books, which is not what it's supposed to be. Like it was just it, that's you know. No, so that's exactly. when I started like cutting things back and just be like reading what I. I would like to read and stuff, but Chris, you remember some of that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I, I, you know, cause I, uh, I've gotten better about my com- completionism. I now have it like in a tiny corner of my soul. Uh, so I still, so I still indulge, but not as much as I used to in terms of like those crossover events were, were brutal. Cause I had a hundred percent buy into them. Yeah, I mean, it got to a point at at some point, I guess, and this, I mean, this, this kind of dovetails back into our collectible card game talk, but and then we have to go back a little bit more. But you know, at a certain point, I don't know where I just was mind mind space wise. I was I was just like, I I don't know why I just became like a real minimalist, or like I didn't I didn't like I stopped collecting the Lord of the Rings collectible card game and other card games and collectibles in general, and and just kind of like I stopped really collecting, and then I also started like just selling off the stuff. Like I was I was. I was kind of like, I don't know why I just, I was kind of done. And I, I kind of like had the thought, like I've been collecting, I, I was like, I, I, I had like this midlife crisis thought when I was so young. I was like, <laughs> what am I going to do with all this stuff? No, 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 no. I see. And I, think <laughs> that's, I think that's valid. I think that's totally valid. And I think not everybody, but a lot of us hit that, that point for me with, with the game stuff. It was that I was just that I went to college and I wasn't playing anymore. Right. Like I just wasn't playing in college at all. And so a lot of the things that I that I so I can tell you what got me out of Lord of the Rings because I loved Lord of the Rings. What got me out of the what got me out of Lord of the Rings was the Two Towers expansion. Mm, yeah, because the game was the perfect length the way it was. We got some expansions within the context of the Fellowship. So for anybody who doesn't know, Lord of the Rings, the card game, basically was uh, you know you sort of had your own Fellowship traveling through, and other people would throw. Uh, would throw bad guys at you. Okay. Your opponent would throw, would throw orcs or Urukai or the Nazgul at you as your fellowship traveled. And, um, and we each had our own fellowship and our own, you know, bad guys. I don't, I don't remember the exact mechanics, but it, but it, it, it spanned the length of the fellowship of the rings movie. And the first set was, was a lot of the movie. And then there were like two small expansions that had like more from the fellowship movie. And then they came out with two towers and the rules of the game changed because now you're sort of having to go even further and it changed the complexion of the game into something that I did not enjoy as much as I did that first. So, you know, what's interesting is that, and this is part of why I got out of collectible card games in the first place is because, you know, and I've talked about this with regards to to comic books that, you know, sometimes I just, I want a story that ends as I've gotten older Mm -hmm. and the, 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 the majority of comics don't do that. That's true of collectible card games too. So what happens is a lot of a lot of creators of games either have to change the rules or some cards have to become outdated. So they swap card, new cards into legal play and old cards out. Um, 
you know, or they they reboot the entire thing um, so that they can start back from scratch again because at some point it just gets too big. So Lord of the Rings, the card game, just it just hit that for me. It hit that point early. I tried playing Two Towers a little bit and I just didn't enjoy it. Yeah, no, that's a that's a fair. I mean, yeah, I just yeah, I stopped. You know, towards I think it was towards the end. Same thing when you stopped, Chris, is when I when I I kind of yeah. I feel like we all stopped around the same time. Um, yeah, it just kind of like it lost its luster, and I and I can't like I said, I can't really explain it past like it just some of these the collecting of the card game, the playing of the card game, and just the collect collecting in general just didn't you know, sync with me that, that much, you know, I mean, I, you know, well, I don't we want the, it with, we replaced with other priorities. I think that's part of, this is part of what my dad was trying to get across to me and some of it stuck and some of it didn't because for a long time he was saying, you know, why are you spending so much money on, you know, these cards? They're not really worth anything. They're only worth what people are willing to pay and you're going to outgrow some of this stuff. And, and it's, it's a very, and that's a lot to unpack, right? Because I definitely insisted he was wrong uh, the cards absolutely were not worthless, right? Like if I had held onto a number of those cards until today, I'd be selling some of those cards off for like $500 a piece. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah definitely. So, so he was wrong about some of that. And it's not that I outgrew gaming, it's that I personally outgrew those games. And I suspect it's not for the reasons he thought, because like I, right now I still play Star Wars Armada and that's a, that's a Star Wars miniatures ship miniatures game. So little, little plastic models of different ships and squadrons in Star Wars. And it's a two player game. So I'm always playing against one opponent and I will, I will drive several hours, if not five hours uh, to go play in a tournament. Uh, So I still like the competition. I still like games. I outgrew those particular games because they didn't scratch that itch anymore so it's not like i outgrew gaming and it's not like i outgrew the competition and it's not like that stuff was worthless it's that i grew out outgrew that particular moment of my life so it was a very mixed bag when my dad said those things i think he was excuse me right about some of it but for the wrong reasons so it doesn't surprise me that you know as we got older and as you got older james it you know you're you have a very full life all the different various things that you've done in terms of personal you know personal and physical training uh education martial arts you know work relationships like all this stuff you know at some point you start running out of capacity and you got to go okay where am i going to make space in my life and mm-hmm. you know sometimes it's sometimes the decision's an easy one yeah i mean i train i train i guess i guess in that thought process it wasn't exactly the same time but eventually down the not that far down the road of, of giving up collectible card game like competitions, I was like, you know, doing martial art fighting competition, like not competition, but in yeah. the rings. So I still like competition. I just trade it up for a much trade up, yeah, trade up for right. a much physical trade, form trade up for a black eye. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, and Joe, I mean, you know, Joe, to throw it back to you for a second there. I mean, you said the same thing, which was you were you have been a completionist in the past, but you have hit storylines where you're like, I don't need that. I know it's Superman, but I don't need that. Yeah, storylines, and more than that, Chris treatment of the character how uh, how sure. uh, how a new creator comes onto a book and and seemingly um just throws everything from the past out the window opens up the window and throws all the uh, the mythos right out the window and and puts his or her take on it and that's fine as a creator but you still have to honor the past you still have to build upon what's come before and that's you know i thought the new 52 was just uh, was just a total denigration of the past and it just didn't sit with me it didn't sit very well with me uh but um, you know, I got a, I got a couple of questions for you for you gaming guys because I'm not the gaming guy here. I'm you know just along yeah, the sure. ride. Um, I did a little research. Oh, the first question I wanted to ask was: uh, Were there ever any uh, crossovers between these games? 
uh, packaged and sold to sold to the uh, to the patrons, like a Magic uh, Yu-Gi-Oh crossover or something like that. I don't. I don't. So, I mean, not not usually because you're usually talking different companies. Yeah. And, um, there, I will say that I think, gosh, I want to say in the past couple of years or maybe the past two years. Um, there was like a, a D and D Magic the Gathering crossover. Yeah, I thought I saw it. That's why I asked. Yeah, they're both they're both owned by Wizards of the Coast. Okay. Um, so I think that was a thing that they were able to do, especially because some Magic there's there's definitely a lot of lore behind Magic the Gathering, uh, and that's increased, you know, over the past decade probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also doesn't need to be all part of the same system. It's not like crossing over Magic the Gathering with, say, Lord of the Rings, where there's a very clear lore for Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same is true of D&D. It's not, easy, it's not difficult to go, hey, the multiverse exists, and there's one in which we have Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, it's, but gaming is very, very different from comics in that regard. There are some games that we oftentimes will say it's reskinning a game. It's putting a new skin on a game. The, the mechanics are the same. So for example, um, you take World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft is insanely popular. Um, it has been for, I guess, what, two decades now? But Yeah, at least. Yeah, there's a there's a great board game called Pandemic. And Pandemic is basically, it's a cooperative game. Everybody around the table, cooperative board game is, you know, all the players are playing against the board. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's trying to eradicate these diseases before they just, they get out of hand and wipe out the population, which... <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. There are a lot of people who have not played Pandemic for a couple of years now because it hits too close to home. Yeah, um, But they have different versions of Pandemic, and one of them is World of Warcraft, where all the players are trying to defeat the Lich King, and instead of disease spreading across the board, it's like minions of the Lich King. So, like, they changed a couple of mechanics, but it's effectively the same game, so we call it a reskin. So you'll see some of that sometimes where you see crossovers in games. But But back when we were playing card you know the collectible card games more or less that's what we were playing at mint was collectible card games with the exception being like dragon dice um you didn't really see that yeah i mean the only there weren't crossovers but i will say um decipher owned the licensings for the star wars collectible card game the star trek collectible card game and the lord of the rings collectible card game so there wasn't any crossover but they they had like a three major properties at the time yeah yeah they, they did which is kind of insane them. when you think about it because those those at least star wars and star trek had to be some expensive ips some yeah. expensive ips oh yeah definitely definitely and and again chris to your point like some expensive ips and also some of those cards like while people i don't play think to play the game anymore some of those cards i think are still worth a lot of money those character cards anyway at least oh i'm no i mean i'm sure again it depends on you know it depends on who's looking for them i i gotta be honest if i you know, if I went to a garage sale or something and I saw a collection of like Lord of the Rings, like the base set, if the price was reasonable enough, I would 100% buy them. And the reason that I would buy them now is not just to play the game. It's to sort of learn the game over again and see if, see like as a, as an, uh, an amateur game designer myself, what is it that was appealing about Lord of the Rings and how did the system work? And and was it as as good as I remember it being? Because a lot of games don't hold up, but some of them do. But Joe, you had you had other other questions. I yeah, I, like I said, I did just a little bit of research, and um, and you guys can I'm sure you can correct me if if I'm wrong because again you're, you're the experts here. But I, I assume that Dungeons and Dragons was the first commercially available role playing game. I think it was around 1974, and then there were other fantasy games that followed, like Empire of the Pearl Throne, um, uh, Chivalry and Sorcery, RuneQuest. And sci-fi role-playing games like Metamorphosis Alpha, Traveler, and Gamma World, and even a superhero game 
that was called Superhero 2044 in 1977. But it got me to thinking, and it begs the question to ask, you know, why were all these new games based on fantasy and sci-fi and not real-world activities and events uh, at the onset? Why not a private icon game or a mystery film noir crime drama game? Why not sports at the beginning of this genre? I and mean, all we had back then was Shadows of the Yankees and Stratomatic Baseball. Um, well, not even romance. So, you know, I wanted to throw that, throw that, that question at you guys. Why do you, why do you think that was it? it, it is it, is it natural? Is it was natural to fall into the, into the fantasy realm for these games or, or did they just overlook other genres? Well, I mean, Chris could probably say more than this than I can. I'll just say, like, I think there were other card games of different genres. They just weren't as successful because I I feel like a lot of the card games that were successful were attached to an existing IP that automatically drew an audience to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, and maybe Dungeons, maybe the fantasy element of the card games is just an expansion of the success of Dungeons and Dragons in, in the realm. Like you could take. The elements of Dungeons and Dragons, but put them into a game like Magic. That's just me guessing because I, I really, I really don't know. But I'll throw it to Chris because probably has more insight to it yeah. than I do. Um, well, I'm definitely not an authority, so I can't speak with with certainty on a number of things. I will say Dungeons and Dragons was not the first role playing game. Okay. Um, it was definitely the most successful and the most popular, but it wasn't the first the first of its kind. There were a lot. There were there were a number that came before D and D. D and D was just the one that I think. That got like a, a toehold that became a foothold. Oh, I see. Um, but there were there were others before that that, that helped inspire D and D. One of which I, I I went and looked up, and it looks like um, a Chaturanga uh, was the it was an inspiration for D and D. So, but as to your your question about why so much fantasy and why not sports and everything, um, I this is only a. I'd call it an educated guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because of the assumptions of who would play these games. Be playing the game? So the assumption is that girls and women are not going to play these games. The assumption is, so they're very, you know, they're very male-centric. Oh, I see. The assumption is that uh, jocks aren't going to play these games. So they're not going to have sports, except maybe they'll do like sports in a fantasy realm, right? Um, so... I think the assumption was by the people publishing and creating games, uh, and and a lot of this is is sort of you know basic uh, is is still uh, the 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 dark days of the internet and dial up right where you didn't have you weren't googling okay sports role playing game right you'd have to actually hear about it from somebody else or stumble across it in a in a, a specialty store too because you know you weren't finding this the, these books just anywhere so I think it had everything to do with these are the people who will buy these games, so let's make it for them. And these people like fantasy, so that's what we're that's what we're going to stick with. Oh, also, Chris, I, fantasy, oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. I just I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to say one thing. I now that this is bringing up, there there was I think maybe Upper Deck. There was a baseball card game out during our time in Mink Condition. I don't remember the name of it. Oh yeah, they came out with a, with an NFL oh, yeah. one too that I think was called Blitz or something. Yes, they definitely yeah. tried. So yes, but that was much later on, not to the, the time period you're talking about, Chris, but some, but they, I think Upper Deck or maybe Decipher even tried it, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean to digress from your story. No, no, it's fine. I think, you know, I think board games and card games, they would, they would come out with some of that stuff. And it's because they were marketing towards, they were thinking there's an untapped market in boys who don't play Magic the Gathering. Maybe they'll play our card game if we if it's a football card game, that sort of thing. And they were never well designed, at least none that I knew of. It's not that the design can't work. It's just it's sort of what people were willing to do. And I think people just looked at games like D&D and Magic and went, excuse me, well, that's successful. Let's do that. 
So I think if you if you look now, role playing games, there's role playing for everything. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. role playing yeah, yeah. games for for anything. Some of them some of them don't even include dice. It's more about the narrative than anything else. I can tell you that uh, the first the first time I played D and D, it was a lot of number crunching, and I didn't want to play it anymore. I I played it a couple of times, and I didn't really have a lot of fun. Uh, it wasn't until college that I was roped into a, a game called Vampire, and I was told, <laughs> you know, treat it like an acting exercise. And I did, and uh, mm-hmm. I left that campaign. Uh, that campaign went on for a little bit, but then uh, as I played with some other people, I sort of felt like, oh, okay, that was a good introduction for me, but I wouldn't have stuck with that campaign any longer um, because it just it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted out of it. But I do like the the narrative aspect of it, so I think that's something that we that we see now is that there are a lot of types of role playing, and then it's also figuring out how to do something new that isn't already out there. So I can say, for instance, like from a game design standpoint, I have a a journal full of ideas and I only have two games that are in prototype right now. And one that I'm like working on designing that doesn't have a prototype. It's just still early stages. But two of my ideas that I'd really, really like to get to at some point is I'm working on a, uh, I'm working on a, a a shootout, a hockey shootout game. It's Mm going to be a very short game. Um, between two players, but the idea is that it, it reflects what happens in a tie when a tied hockey game goes to overtime. It's still tied and it goes to a shootout. So it's something very simple and straightforward, but I want there to be a little bit of depth, depth to it. And then for a bigger game, I like the idea of, well, what if you were NHL owners? What would it look like over the course of several seasons? And there's a lot that goes into that sort of thinking. Those those kinds of games are, are called referred to as legacy. Excuse me, legacy games because you play the game over several sessions. You don't you don't just sit down for an afternoon, you you plot it out over the course of like several months, you get together like five times and play it. So um, so I think there are a lot of things out there now, but at the time, I think it was just, the, it's the people who play these games are nerds. And so that's who we're going to pander to. Nerds like fantasy, therefore fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could say like, you know, I, I wouldn't have gotten into collectible card games unless they were the properties that I was I was into. So the fact that I could, I could play as Han Solo or Darth Vader or, or command the enterprise. Um, and here's a little known thing that, that really didn't take off in the store, but I played with, with um, John and I think Josh and a few other people, there was a Babylon five collectible card game that I actually, yeah. And I was, I was, that was the only game I was fairly decent at. And I actually went to these, the before spoken of um, neutral ground and entered a a tournament on that. So, um, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, you were decent at young Jedi too, but yeah, I, it was decent, you know, it was, well, it was very, yeah. very kind of you, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's only because I could be those characters, I guess that, that got me into the sure. game. So that, no, that, 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 that makes sense to me. Also fantasy, you know, I, again, I think things are a little bit different now, but fantasy, I think was, there were so many people who thought fantasy as a setting meant that you could do whatever you wanted and there didn't need to be consistency um, because it's fantasy. So you can do whatever you want. There aren't any rules. And and there are. There are rules, right? Uh, rules make stories and games interesting. But I think that, again, from a from sort of a, a, a lazy creation standpoint, it was this idea of if we do fantasy, we can do whatever we want. Whereas if you do a sports game, there has to be some some basis in the way that sports work, right? The same with science fiction, the same with science, the same with a lot of other settings, Western, that sort of thing, uh, noir. Um, whereas with fantasy, I think it was just people and 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 uh, people who could be lazy about the creation of it. 
Uh, yeah, that's that, that, definitely that's a good observation, Chris. I agree. I, I agree with that. I like too. that, Chris. Yeah, uh, Joe, do you have another question? I think. Or uh, no, just um, well, I guess I actually do. Uh, again, coming from uh, where I'm coming from with the uh, my lack of uh, ability to play these games, and I think Chris just hit upon it when his answer to uh, uh, why there was why they started with fantasy. But um, it seems to me sometimes that the rules and the structures of these games are conceived to be, you know, seemingly difficult. And, um, you know, so now if you're starting, if you're starting at the basis where it's fantasy and I can make up the rules as I go along, uh, are, you, are you intentionally trying to make it as convoluted as possible? Uh, or is that, is that uh, is, it, is it intentional or, or is that um, just a byproduct of, of the whole fantasy setting? where everything is up for grabs and you can, you can just pick and choose what you want and put it into the game. So that, you know, that's what I saw when they tried to teach me these games numerous times, the kids at the store, I just, uh, I said, that's enough guys. You know, uh, like I said, I, I was learning hero clicks, but, um, the, they tried to teach me Yu-Gi-Oh and, and magic. It just seemed to be, uh, to me intentionally difficult and intentionally, uh, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, convoluted is, is the word I'm looking for. So is, is that is that a fair assessment or am I just being just, uh, you know, I got it all wrong? I think, James, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I, I have some, but I want to hear yours well, first. Well, I will say I'm, I'm sort of in line with Joe because I really couldn't, like, I, I don't, like you know, my, my brain, I, I've learned, you know, over time looking back, my brain has certain things that immediately adapts to and immediately doesn't adapt to. And some of the game mechanics... And not even just collectible card games, like, you know, video game me- mechanics, too, always, like, mystified me, too. I can't so, video games. <laughs> yeah, I, I just don't have, like, I, I mean, I'm sure I, I'm sh- my brain just operates differently. I'm sure if I put more time into it. Like, I was able to, like, again, to say, like, I play the other card games mainly because I was vested in playing those characters, so characters. I learned it. If I taught other people how to play Star Wars or Star Trek, Babylon 5, Lord of the Rings, there are people who were saying it's convoluted, too. But I never clicked with magic and stuff, and... And in fact, Young Young Jedi to me was a simplified version of Star Wars, which is why maybe it connect, I connected with it when it came out so closely. So I'm not so much in a disagreement with you, Joe, because some of this stuff was mystifying to me. So Chris, I will I will leave that to you because yes, I have a similar question to Joe. Lighten us, please, Chris. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm very much of the opinion that they actually tried to make casual magic accessible. I think the problem was the people who were teaching you. Okay. That's okay. uh, well, I can tell you from my own personal experience, Jack, Jack mentioned this in an episode, and I think it was the episode with uh, one of the first ones where we, we had Jack and he was talking about the secret origins. And, uh, and if anybody doesn't, hasn't listened to a Jack episode, please go back, do yourself a favor. There's some really terrific ones. Um, but I think it was his secret origins episode where he was talking about how he and I met and he's like, yeah, I remember when Chris was, you know, trying to teach me how to play Pokemon. And I know what I was like at that age and in that setting, which was, I was so excited at the notion of getting new people into the game that I would be like, I already, I already speak quickly as it is, but I would speak more quickly and I would try and best way to describe this. Okay. What I would try and do is I would try and make sure I taught as much of it as possible so I could rope you in before you decided you weren't interested. (laughs) The result was that I was in fact turning people off from the game, not because of my enthusiasm, because I was trying to overload them. So, uh, so for example, uh, Magic the Gathering, the way I teach it, would teach it now is, all right, you've got two types of cards in your deck, in a 60-card deck. You're going to have lands, and you're going to have other cards, spells. 
you're going to take those lands, they're going to go out, you're going to tap them, and those will give you the energy or the money to pay for the cards to play out of your hand. The cards have different effects. It says on the cards what they do. Each of you has 20 life, and whoever you know knocks, whoever gets to zero first loses, and the other person wins. That's how I would leave it now. And then I would probably have like a deck and be like, Joe, I have this deck. I'm going to hand it to you. We're going to play with an open hand so you can see what I'm doing and why you do the same. And that's how I would teach you magic now. Okay. That's all there is to it. You're just playing cards that are fuel for other cards. I think that sounds fairly simple, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. That's not how I would have taught it 20 years ago. Uh, the way I would have taught it 20 years ago is, okay, so uh, basically you're a mage and your opponent is a mage and, and um, you know, you're playing against one other people. Well, actually, you can play against like several other people, but for now, we'll just do with two people. But you but you can play with four or six or whatever you want. And so what you're doing is you have, you know, lands and, and these lands will produce mana and here are the types of mana they produce. And then you have different types of spells. You have creatures, you have spells, you have artifacts. And, and already it's become more complicated, right? Oh, yeah, this is all coming back to me now, lands and mana. And I'm like, right, I'm, looking, see? I'm, I'm looking at the kids. What the hell are you guys talking right. about? <laughs> and that's and that's the problem with, I think, wow. and it still happens now, okay? Uh, and by now, I mean at this, at my age, at 38. Um, there's still plenty of people who teach games like that and try and teach you everything about the game before we're even going. So it'd be like, okay, so when you tap this land, you get one mana. That's how I would explain it now. You get the the energy that's on the card. What I would have done 20 years ago is I'd say, okay, usually when you tap a land on its side, you get one, but there are lands that give you two, and then there are some that do other effects. And I would just go down this rabbit hole that, like, while I'm not wrong, that's not the way to teach the game. Because now I'm teaching you the exceptions. Um, In baseball, you know, if you're trying to explain baseball to somebody, you're going to say, yeah, you've got some people in the the field. They throw the ball. Uh, Each team has however many at-bats. Uh, over the course of nine innings, and whoever scores the most runs wins. Yeah, and in football, it's even you can distill it down even simpler. It's called kill the quarterback. Yeah, and whoever gets the most <laughs> points wins. You can, you can yeah. take, get points, or you can get it into the end zone. Exactly. But the moment you start explaining that, you know, you have the 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 Mike, the middle linebacker, he's the one who's calling out what the plays are to the defense, and they're going to be looking for post routes and like. The moment you start doing that, you've lost. So I don't think. This is why I say I don't think that Pokemon is a particularly well-designed game. It's actually fairly simple, um, and there's not a ton of depth to it. Maybe things have changed since I played. I'm sure they have, but there's not a ton of depth to it. You're just throwing Pokemon at each other, and you you know you're you're depending on tight matchups. Uh, but it, most of these games really aren't that complicated. It's just how they're taught. Now that's different for board games. There are a lot of board games now that are definitely more complicated and they're not convoluted for the sake of convolution. Um, so there's a game called Twilight Imperium. Twilight Imperium is a board game that can take the better part of a day. It could be a six hour game. It could be longer if people take sort of drag their heels. Um, it's not complicated for the sake of being complicated. It's complicated because the idea is that you have this, this, throne Megatol rex that everybody is vying for to rule this galaxy and you can do this through politics you can do this through war you can do this by being technologically superior excuse me and the more the more you try and get a game to reflect the reality that you are trying to set the more rules you run into about that sort of thing so while twilight imperium at its core is not actually like a com- quote complex game you're just you're trying to score victory points so that you can be the one who rules the universe that are the galaxy um 
you know, the rules start to make it more complicated. So in my opinion, sh- you know, short answer too late. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're complicated. I think it's the way that, that a lot of us try and teach the game. We get so enthusiastic about it and we try and teach you everything about it instead of going, this is the basis of the game. Let's start there. Um, and we want so badly, so many of us want so badly for other people to like it and to be the one who brought them in that we try and teach them everything about the game because it's sort of like, um, you know, the TV show where you go, hey, you should watch this series. It's great. I mean, the first season is rough, but if you get past that, this is our version of that. If I teach you enough about the game, you will love it the way that I do. No, that's a great, that's a great uh, summation, Chris. It's like, it's like a, to, uh, to use a baseball metaphor here with a five or six-year-old, you're, you're not having them face live pitching you're having them hit off a tee yeah 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 yeah. right exactly and see whether or not they like the because at the end of the day if they don't like hitting the ball they're not going to enjoy playing exactly that's the the essence of the game hitting the ball right right. and so it's the same with something like magic the gathering if you don't enjoy the basic game that i've taught you adding more complications on is unlikely to help the only time that that i think helps is if you say okay uh, sure, that kind of makes sense, but like, it seems pretty simplistic. And then I can say, it seems simplistic because I built your deck for you. Right. You're going to go build your own deck and you're going to draw from a bigger pool of cards. Okay, well, I mean, but this rule, can this ever be, like, isn't it just that whoever has the bigger creatures wins? Well, not necessarily. In this case, it came down to that, but sometimes it's better to have a swarm of small creatures. So I can't, kill your big creatures but i'm still hitting you for damage like there are there are times where we can go past that and you might go okay so there's more depth to it than i thought uh that it becomes more interesting baseball is you hit a ball with a stick that sounds really boring well sure it's boring except you have different matchups and you have different types of pitches oh so you're not just throwing the ball well no sometimes you throw it directly over the plate sometimes you can put spin on the ball sometimes you're aiming for the corner like there are if i can appreciate hitting the ball off a tee now we can see if i want the next level so that's a great great metaphor john and teaching takes time too i mean it's you know like learning how to teach it's still, skill, yeah. you, need to, you need to know how to teach a thing. It's not enough that you, you know, I've had language teachers that speak the language flawlessly, but they're not good teachers. So yeah. I'm not going to learn the language. It's not because they don't know the language. It's because they're not good teachers. Yeah. It, I mean, it took me forever in the stuff that I've done, which most of my stuff is teaching on some, some level to, um, to learn when I got a person in who wanted to learn whether yoga or martial arts or how to lift weights. Like in the beginning, I did the same thing. I told them everything they could ever possibly know about how to get healthy. And I'm like, that is too much information. And they didn't stick to it. I mean, now yeah, James, really quickly, you had, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember. He runs his own fitness studio. You interviewed him. You did martial arts together. Oh, Tom, Tom, Tom yeah. you had a great on your fitness podcast, which for anybody who hasn't listened, James has a fitness podcast, which I think is terrific. Uh, what's the name of it again, James? Uh, the Total Health and Fitness Podcast. Thank you. The Total Health and Fitness Podcast. Yep. For anybody who hasn't listened, it's really good. Nice bite-sized episodes with the exception of the interviews, which are longer but really interesting. But you were talking to Tom about this. Uh, you both mentioned that, you know, what you do is you try and you try and meet people where they're at yes, when you're training is, them. Yeah, And is, I think it's the same when you're talking about teaching a game or something. Meet people where they're at. I have a, I have a ton of really complex, advanced games and I'm never, ever going to introduce my wife to any of them. She likes to play some games with me, and sparingly, every now and then she'll be like, you feel like playing a game? I'm not going to try and get her into one of the bigger games because that's not where she's at. If she said, I want to play Twilight Imperium, I'd be thrilled, and I'd say, great. 
but I'm not going to try and push that on her and then be disappointed when it turns out she's not interested and actually wants a divorce. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's, I think it's what you and Tom were saying, which is, yeah, you meet, you meet your trainees where they are at and then you bring them along and walk the path with them. Right. Yeah. Which took, like, it takes a long time, as we just said, like it's, it, I think there's a certain amount of life lived if you're in an educational type of situation that you have to know, you have to, I guess, be at the level, understand you have to be at the same level and mindset as the person entering this new realm, whether like in my case is teaching something in health and wellness, or we're going all the way back to mint condition, teaching someone a new game. Like if you are meeting them above that, then the odds of them sticking it out is going to be, is going to be difficult. And- yeah. And some of it comes with age and experience. I mean, Joe, Joe, you've been teaching me about baseball since we started this podcast, but I've never felt like you're pushing baseball on me. If I felt like you were pushing it on me, I, I think I'm more likely to push back. But meanwhile, for listeners who don't know, like Joe, Joe, the three of us will text pretty much daily. We text each other mm-hmm. and Joe will mention a really great game or you should see this highlight. I'm not getting texts from Joe every day saying, hey, watch this game or watch this highlight. But every now and then he'll he'll mention something. I can ask him a question. And here's the other thing that I love about you, Joe. You answer my question. You don't just try. <laughs> you don't just go off in, in the wilds and tell me all the things that I should know. You answer my question. You give me a little bit of elaboration. So you're not, again, you're meeting me where I'm at with regards to baseball. So, um, so I think that's really what a lot of gaming comes down to. I think a lot of us just get overly enthusiastic about a game. And next thing you know, we're trying to teach you the entire game so that you're a full-fledged member of the community. Yeah, you want uh, you want to teach if you're teaching somebody, or if you want to get them to appreciate something that you like, uh, bring them bring it to them slowly, give them a snippet. Like a, a baseball game is, uh, I always I always like to think of baseball as a, as a metaphor for life. You know, nine innings, and um, something could happen in the first inning or the second inning that that could be the entire uh, the entire game can turn on that, and just show somebody that or, or explain that to them, and. Um, they'll they they're, they'll gone an appreciation for the game because they're seeing a snippet of the game not the entire game not the entire series not the entire season because baseball is played for six months of the year it's played every day it can be daunting at times so yeah just um, hone in on, on on certain things and you've done it for me Chris with, with with NHL to the point where like you know like we said off the air before we started like uh, I am just um, uh, I'm loving these games, and uh, I've always been a Ranger fan. But now that you know, I have a little better understanding of what the hell's going on on the, on the ice. <laughs> I can enjoy it even more. So it's great. That's yeah, great. It's, yeah. So well, sort I, of the old, know, ad, sort of the old adage, right? Always, always leave them wanting more. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. And that's, I think, a thing that you know, when <laughs> Mint Condition, I didn't run into. Uh, I, I don't know that I made any converts when I worked at Mint. I think I was able to teach the game to people who were already interested, which is why I think I was successful at getting people to play to play Pokemon was because they already wanted to play. But I don't know that I had any converts when I was gaming there. Uh, Lord of the Rings, we all sort of got into at the same time. Um, if I recall correctly, even Adrian was playing Lord of the Rings, James. Do you remember? Yeah, she was. She was playing. Yeah. I think uh, she was playing longer than I was in the end there, so... I mean, we all had our own approach to Lord of the Rings. Uh, Young Jedi was sort of the same thing. We all sort of got in at the same time and it came out. And I know this was planned, but obviously with the prequels is when it came out. So, you know, I don't and I don't think we had really converts to either of those games. We just sort of we had enough people in our group that we were happy. We didn't try and really like 
we didn't try too hard to convert anybody else. If anybody was in the store and said, what are you playing? We would tell them, but we had a sizable group. We didn't feel the need necessarily for more. And, and so that's sort of the way those, those games went back in, in mint gaming days, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think there's like, there's probably a lot more we could say about it and we will with um, future, future guests, future guests and everything. So, but uh, I think this is like a good, I mean, I think it's a good sampling of what happened with mint condition and gaming, you know, that we've covered so far. I mean, I I leave elaboration. Like I said, we have future guests planned and um, returning guests who could probably talk about some of this a little bit more elaborately than, than, well, add to the elaboration that Chris and I have given, because we were sort of at the ground floor of, of some of that gaming at the time. And Joe, you gave, you gave a good summation of what was happening at the end there. Oh, but you, there's a circle all the way back to the beginning. What was the great hero clicks giant figure controversy? We well, we have, we have, uh, oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, as Chris uh, said, uh, you know, you, you build your, you build your armies. You, you, you know, do you have, uh, uh, uh how many, uh, uh players you're going to put on the board to verse uh, versus your opponent. So, but hero clicks, you know, it's a superhero game. I'm not sure, you know, I, if I can explain it in detail, I don't want to explain it in detail anyway, but, um, uh, you know, you have these little these little figures, and they have these power sets. Obviously, Superman has a, has a power set that is greater than, say, Nightwing. Obviously, and there are these like three inch figures, and they're they're painted kind of cool. They they they're collectible. It's a collectible game, and we would play every Monday night. And I had somebody who would come in and run the game for me, and then all of a sudden, some of the guys would start showing up with the giant figures, and these giant figures were like, you know, they dwarfed literally in size. They dwarfed the little three inch figures because they were probably eighteen inches tall. And they, they were giants not only in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the way they were made, but they were giants in, within the universe they existed, like the Anti-Monitor or the Spectre or Darkseid. So you put your army together uh, and you've got, uh, you, had, you, had a, you, you couldn't go all out. You, there was a, a certain parameter of, of, of how many clicks you could use and, and the number that it would add up to. And you put seven or eight guys on the board and then somebody comes in and plops down Darkseid. I'm playing with Darkseid tonight. You got no shot at beating Darkseid with Superman and you know uh, Fire and Ice and uh, and Nightwing and uh, you know uh, Aquaman. So what are you going to do? You're going to lose. And the guys that kept bringing in the the, um, the giant figures chased away the other guys, and we lost half of our uh, our, our clientele and our players. And I tried to get them to you know guys, how about like every other week? No, no, we spent money for these things, and we're going to play them. Yeah, but you're chasing people away, and and that was the uh, uh, the problem we had with the giant figures, it would just chase people away from the game and uh, they would not relent. And I tried to put my foot down, but it didn't, it didn't seem to work. And it was near the end of the end, end of the run of the Mitch condition at that point. And I guess I was getting, you know, a little jaded and a little tired. So I didn't, I didn't really, really want to fight that battle. I, I kept magic going on, on Fridays because that was uh, that the kids enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was a moneymaker. And, uh, but the uh, giant hero clicks battle was something that I was not going to, uh, I was not going to continue to fight against well and i'll also say that i don't i don't then maybe that was fixed for hero clicks i don't know because i know hero clicks is still going on but mm-hmm. um but yeah that's that's a thing that that happens frequently uh honestly like there are some games that are i mentioned about magic the gathering that are more pay to play than anything else that mm-hmm. are not necessarily based on skills so much as what you have um and unfortunately that's you know we see a lot of that and i remember that i was trying to i also tried to moderate uh, the scene at mint condition and and sometimes it was the wrong call it was more of a more of a this is the way I think it should be run instead of just going you know what this is this is what it is and um, if it's not working it's just not working but I can't make anybody do anything so no, no, I couldn't um, do that either. No, yeah sorry. 
Yeah, no, it's unfortunate. It's, yeah. It also sounds like it sounds like like I'm surprised the game didn't have like built-in work. Like, because I think all the games, and Chris, you could correct me if I'm wrong. Anyone could win for the most part. The games we're playing, you know, even with not the best cards. I mean, it seemed like a game of skill. Like it seems, it seems like the games were balanced. That you know, you may not unless I mean, you may have to have game insight and know how to construct a deck properly to always win, but. The, the big figures thing sounds like there was no way to win. Like you could just pay that money and it doesn't matter what good group of heroes they put together, they were never going to win. Yeah, I was bringing in a ringer every night. This, you know? this, this is where we... What's wrong? <laughs> this is where we get into good game design versus poor game design because don't forget that the, you know, the goal of these, these collectible card games is to make money, right? Exactly. So, you know, if it's pay to play and some games are, they're not well-designed games, but some games are pay to play because... They make more money. They don't. They don't care how the game does as long as it sells, and then they can just drop it when it's time to be dropped. So um, that's that's a whole another conversation for another yeah. day. But yeah. uh, but for sure, that's that's an element of the gaming community, and that's a complaint. And I think people have gotten better about not playing those games, those types of games. Um, but it's still hundred percent happens sometimes where you see a game and you go, "This is very much pay to play. I'm not interested in that." Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. that's turn off. That really is. Well. Well, this has been a little sampling of, of gaming and mint condition for the listening audience. Again, this is something we will return to in the future with other guests and, and maybe some more recollections from from us uh, returning to the subject because uh, we've kind of encapsulated many years of being at the store into a very small amount of time, so we'll return to this. But there's a few things we want to get to before we do our normal recommendations to wrap up the show. Many, many months ago, we uh, we made a posting on, on the Facebook message page asking that we would like to hear from you um, in terms of your questions and answers um, for the show. And we, uh, and we did put up the question and we, we did not answer the question until this for, episode. For a really long time, for which we <laughs> apologize. So, uh, yes, we, so we, we, get, we got one response back from uh, listener Sean McNally. And uh, we're going to answer his question today. And then going forward, I will periodically post, we want to hear from you. And uh, hopefully you will, um, we will be much, much better going forward. Yeah, we, we mean it. We just stumbled, <laughs> but we We're still do want to hear from you. So, yeah. so listeners, we apologize. We dropped the ball. We do want your interactions. I say it at the end of every episode, so we're going to keep going forward. So, but Sean, to finally answer your question from, uh, I'm trying to look at the date here, from March 4th. Wow. I going to say, do we really want to look at the date? But <laughs> so, Well, listen, I, I'll put it like, you know, listen, we dropped the ball, but we're going to pick it up and be really strong going forward. That's right. That's right. We're going to own it and move forward. Um, so Sean asked us, I'd like to, I'd like your opinions about who is the greatest superhero of all, but you can't use Superman. Um, Green Lantern is technically cheating, but whatever. <laughs> and, um, and I, I respond, I respond to Sean just to clarify for us on the show. I said, I just want to make sure we answer your question, question correctly. You want your, want our opinion on the greatest superhero was not overly powered. And his response to us before we give our answers now to this question is, is no, they can be super powered, but Superman can technically do everything. He can breathe underwater. He can fly fast enough to rewind Earth. And he has heat vision and X-ray vision, etc. On and on. Equally, Green Lantern was given a ring that allows him to imagine something that could kill Superman. So he considers that cheating for this question. If you, if you gave any Chinook Green Lantern's ring, could, uh, it could and would be overly powered um, as a superhero. Um, so, so his, and his personal vote for a, a hero, I guess, slash villain would be Magneto as the most powerful. So, so given all of those, all of those things, gentlemen, going back to the original question, um, what are our opinions about who is the greatest superhero of all? Do you want to take that first, Chris? I, I really, really struggled with this question and not because I have a question for the, Sean. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> you what? 
I have a question for Sean. I'm going to answer this question with a question. Okay. Um, I, I struggled with the question because just because not because of the, the, the constraints or the, or the parameters of the question. It's that, um, there, there are so many great superheroes for so many different reasons and, and different types of greatness. So I, I really struggled with this. Um, for me, I, I guess the, the, the greatest, the greatest superhero that I, I personally come back to, and also there are a lot of mediums, right? There are a lot of mediums which, uh, across which we, we draw that. But for me, the greatest superhero is and probably always will be Batman. And the reason I say that is not because he's the most powerful. In fact, it's sort of the opposite. Uh, the reason for me he's the greatest superhero is because of all the training he's had to do, everything he's had to overcome to get to where he is, um, is because he's made bad decisions. He stumbled, but he has come back from them anyway. He has kept trying. Um, you know, it's not being a good person is not a, a thing you uh, good person is not a thing you are. It's a thing you do. And Batman makes that choice every day to, to put on the cape and train other people and protect other people. He does it with no powers whatsoever. Um, despite the fact there was an episode, of, there was an issue of The Flash where he was asked to run around with this thing that sort of measured other people's uh, meta powers. Uh, and Batman, <laughs> Batman's human skills are so off the charts that he actually registers as a meta human. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, I will also say that for me with Batman, it comes down to sort of two stories one is kingdom come where he you know he's the one who who stands against clark um and also uh does not fall for lex luthor's ruse right so mm -hmm. uh so he's there for that whole that whole thing the other though is an episode of justice league unlimited and that's mm -hmm. the one where um where terry mcginnis who you know is batman beyond uh, oh. where Terry is has learned that that he is actually Bruce Wayne's son from a DNA standpoint, and Amanda Waller is relating a story in which uh, in which Ace um, has a brain tumor and she's going to die, and she's going to take the city with her and possibly more. And Batman goes in there and he she says, "I let you in because I knew you weren't going to kill me." And he says, "No," and she says, "I'm going to die soon." And he says, "Yes, I'm sorry." And she says, "I'm scared. Will you stay with me?" And he does. He stays with her and he holds her hand and then he carries her out. Um, That's and that moment movie. just, it just, it makes me tear up every single time. So my vote is for Batman. Well, That's a great answer, Chris. That's a fantastic answer. And I'm, I'm, uh, before I, I, I respond to that, Chris, I want to respond to um, Sean, right? That's the name of yes. our... Uh, yeah. Yep. Sean, are you asking the greatest superhero as in power set or as it is in heroics? Because... You mentioned all these power sets of Green Lantern and, and Superman, and there's one you forgot, which is uh, who could take out both of them. That's the Silver Surfer. But what makes a superhero, and I think Chris just adequately and beautifully put it, uh, is that it's, it's the heroic aspect of the character. It's not the power set. So, Chris, I'm going to surprise you. Um, my answer is also Batman. Okay, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. That does surprise me. And yeah. I, You know I'm the biggest Superman fan on the planet, probably, but uh, I thought you were going to go with Wally, but yeah. Well, 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 I, I, my favorite superhero is, well, up until the last few years has been Superman. Now it's right. Wally West because the way DC is writing Superman, they just don't know what the hell to do with him. But comic historians and also the canon of 83 plus years of Batman stories, I don't think can, uh, anyone can, can uh, you know, uh, disagree that Batman isn't the greatest superhero 
because of what you expounded upon, Chris, how he's a normal guy and had to overcome great tragedy and train his body and his mind to become this great detective, escape artist, the, the world's the world's greatest everything. And also his, 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 you know, we talk about Superman's compassion, but we, we, you, 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 you uh, gave an example of Batman's, of Bruce Wayne's great compassion too. So, um, Sean, uh, I think, uh, we, you know, I'm, I'm agreeing with my buddy Chris here that Batman is the greatest uh, superhero of all time. And uh, again, I would ask you, uh, is, you know, again, if you could clarify maybe in your response, is are you talking about power set heroics? Because ultimately, um, a superhero has to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, I can think of four superheroes that always do the right thing. And that's Superman, Batman, um, Spider-Man, and my boy, Wally West. So, that, so that's my answer. That's good answer, Joe. And I'm, and I'm with you on that whole, one of my favorite episodes of uh, Batman, the animated series is uh, it's called old wounds and it's Nightwing telling Robin, you know, how he, how, why he left, why he stopped being Robin and why the mm. dynamic, dynamic duo broke up. And uh, we find out that this, this breaking point for, for Dick was uh, this guy that one of the guys that, that Batman took down uh, in an effort to get to the Joker. And it turns out, we find out later uh, that Batman actually, empl- Bruce Wayne empl- employed that man. And the, the guy is talking to Nightwing and says, oh, I thought you were Batman. And Nightwing says, no. And says, I ran across him once, really changed my life. And Bruce Wayne is great. Never too busy to ask how my, how my boy is doing. And it's funny because as they're leaving, Robin says, huh, I guess Batman had a change of heart. Who would have thought he had one? <laughs> you know? right, yeah. um, so. Good stuff. Um, I'm going to just, just to kind of change it up. Cause I, I could, Please. it's very easy to go. I could easily say Batman too, but just to make it a little bit more interesting, I'll, I'll make a lateral move and I'll say greatest superhero in terms of like some of the stuff we've already said about into finding this question. Um, You're going to say gonna, Captain America. I was going to say Captain America. I'm actually going to oh. go Matt Murdock and say daredevil. Oh, Ooh, okay. Uh, I can't, I can't. You said uh, lateral move. And I thought, okay, he's going to take the tactician from Marvel. No, I thought, I mean, Daredevil's sort of lateral to Batman. and, and Yeah, you know, no, he totally is. You're totally right. I'm a street-level guy. Um, he always does the right thing to his detriment many times, mm-hmm. to almost losing his career, to being put in jail at this point, to losing his best friend, to losing the love of his life. Um, you know, he does have superhuman abilities, but he had to train mm-hmm. those. Um, so, right. uh, and he keeps going. Like, he keeps going. Even, even when he doesn't want to go. He just keeps going. And uh, I think he's very similar in terms of Batman's drive. And he's got a lot of guilt that he carries around from his yep. own personal guilt to the to actual things he should be guilty about. Um, so I would say Daredevil would be my my answer in terms of greatest superhero. In terms of like if we're defining it about a person who has trained themselves, always does the right thing to the detriment of themselves, I'm gonna say Daredevil for my answer. If I'm and I will, I will caveat. I will give like let's let's just if he's saying like also super powered heroes, I'll give an additional one in terms of like not overpowered but super powered hero. I will also say Thor Odin's son is yeah. a very um, I think a great hero who is not as powerful as Superman, but even without the hammer, Thor still is very strong, very powerful. And mm-hmm. depending on who you're going with, I'm going to choose to go for the older Thor or the more current iterations of Thor. He has humility. Mm-hmm. He cares about other people. And um, he is about others and instead of himself, which is how we started. So those would be my two answers to try to like split the difference on the question. There so, <laughs> you go. Thank you for your question. We appreciate yes, it. Yes, we appreciate it. Yes. Appreciate and please, if you have follow-ups to that, we would want to hear from you and additional and listeners, I will be putting up another thing definitely by the time this goes up. So you can, you can weigh in with your questions for us or responses to what we just said. 
Um, as we end every episode with recommendations, um, Chris, do you have any recommendations for this for this week? Yeah, a couple. Um, I would go and read uh, Chasing Echoes by Dan Goldman. Uh, it's a, it's a, I don't know if it's on Hoopla. I got a, a physical copy of it from the library, but it's a graphic novel about this mess of a family that um that ends up trying to sort of trace their roots and find an old mill that their uh that their their grandfather owned uh before before the Nazis invaded Poland. Um it's it's a I think a very enjoyable story. It's very good um as this family sort of discovers connections, discovers some of those roots and and does the detective work of of where this mill might be. So that was that was enjoyable. I just finished that recently. Uh, I'm currently reading The White People and Other Weird Stories by Arthur Machen, uh, which is basically horror stories uh, a la H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, I've already seen a little bit of misdirection that could have gone more Lovecraftian but didn't, went in a different direction, so I appreciate that. That was good. And then uh, right now I will say that I am watching Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, and really enjoying the hell out of it. And uh, I, I don't know when this is dropping exactly, but um, but we are about to start tonight the uh, the Eastern Conference or excuse me Western Conference Finals uh, for the NHL playoffs. So that's that's I'm all about hockey right now. Um, and Obi Wan Kenobi, and then uh, again Chasing Echoes, I think is a, a great read. Excellent, Chris. Excellent, Joe. What do you got for us this week? Um, I have a novel. It's called Star Trek: The First Adventure. Uh, it came out in 1986, and I remember reading it back then. And as again, as I told you last week, I was reshuffling some things, moving some stuff around, and I found this book again, and I reread it again, or started to reread it again. And um, in the first 50 or 60 pages, um, it all it, it contradicts the first episode of um, of uh, Star Trek: uh, Strange New Worlds vis-a-vis um, uh, Kirk's old, uh, um, older brother Sam. But that's okay because it's still a good read, and that's the great show. So. Um, it's just a good book. It's written by Vonda McIntyre, who wrote some of the best Star Trek novels. So I would highly recommend that. It's it's the first it's the first adventure of the Starship Enterprise. It's Kirk meeting his new crew, uh, uh, Captain Pike stepping down, and uh, it's uh, interesting how they you know the foot they get off on, which isn't too good at first, but uh, they be, then they become the the you know the crew of the flagship Enterprise, and. Um, that was the only thing I was going to recommend, but I want to recommend two books that I've recommended before, and I'm going to do this for our buddy Sean, who asked the question, and we appreciate it. And Sean, uh, as you heard um, James speak about Daredevil, and so I would recommend uh, Miller and Masticelli's Daredevil Born Again, if you haven't read that. And, I second that. Yeah. And uh, you heard Chris eloquently speak about the Batman, and I would recommend Batman Year One, also by Miller and Masticelli. Oh, I second that as well. Your work yes. is fantastic. So, yeah. so uh, you know, uh, and and uh, keep sending your questions in, folks. We, you know, as James said, we dropped the ball, but we'll pick it up. You know, we're not. Um, uh, we learn uh, like Tiki Barber did to hold on to the football. That's, so that's uh, right. <laughs> he never learned to shut his mouth, but he did. No, that he didn't. That's true. So uh, those are my recommendations. Uh, those are great, Joe. Um, rec- I just finished finally because it was a while. It was a big book, but I finished the Neil Adams um, book, Hard Traveling Heroes. Oh, and, good stuff! And excellent second time, maybe my third time reading it. So I, if I, I recommend it all the times I've been saying I've been reading it, I finally finished it, and I still recommend you read it. Great. I'm, I'm still working on New Teen Titans Volume One. It's still very good, so mm-hmm. I, I recommend I recommend that. And because, you know, I guess we're finished with I'm finished on my opinions with modern day stuff. I'm going to give some 30 year old hot takes again. 
And I just, I just finished, I just finally, for the first time, watched Top Gun, the original movie. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. A new fight. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I was, I, you know, the, the, it was a great movie. And I will say, I know Maverick is out now. Um, it's a great movie. The subject matter never really spoke to me. So I'm not like itching. I was never itching, obviously, to see Top Gun because it's been 30 plus years. Um, but uh, it, was, it was a good movie overall. And I can understand why people like it, especially, especially you have to watch that movie in the time in which it came out. Yes. Um, with my mentality of it. So, mm-hmm. and Joe, you'll like this another 30 plus year old hot take or opinion. I never saw it before, but watched it. It was Field of Dreams. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. And I, I enjoyed that movie as well. And if you, if there's anyone out there who has not seen Field of Dreams, um, I recommend it as just a great You're movie. You're on a tear there, James. I, I am. I'm catching up. I'm trying to fill in the holes in my pop culture, uh, pop culture stuff. So, um, that's I terrific. Rec- I we, recommend- lost, we lost the actor that played Shoeless Joe. Yes, and uh, this part of part, I wouldn't say we didn't kind of. I, I didn't coincide. I mean, it did coincide, but I, I wasn't watching it to watch Ray Liotta. But he is fantastic in that. As is yes. James Earl Jones. As is Kevin Costner. Oh, it's just uh, you, you just mentioned that movie gives me goosebumps, James. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's great. And and to be a little bit more current, because uh, you know, uh, just to something a little more current, I also watched um, Jurassic Park: Fallen Kingdom, which is the second Jurassic World movie, okay. and I will say that I I liked it. Um, I, I can say that because I, I appreciate now, like one, I, and Chris, I think you, we said this somewhere, maybe it was one of the threads or something, or I am too old to like kind of have hate for things anymore. So I just look at what the sure. bright, bright side is for things. And you could put a lot of holes in Jurassic Park. You could put a lot of holes in Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom that I just watched, but the movie knows what it is. It knows what it wants to be. And if you're going with that, then I thought it was an enjoyable movie. Di- you know, there were dinosaurs, there were dinosaurs fighting other dinosaurs. Right, right. And, um, you know, and the human characters were fine, but I'm, I, you know, obviously you're in for the dinosaurs. Uh, you oh, know. Yeah. I, I just heard like Legendary is doing on Apple Plus a whole series of Godzilla, is doing a Godzilla TV series, and hmm. they're talking about the human characters, and I'm kind of like, well, I don't really care much about the human characters. Yeah. I'm in it. Well, I want yeah. to see what Godzilla's plight is. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so Jurassic Park gave me dinosaurs and it gave me dinosaurs fighting dinosaurs and it was an action romp. So I, I recommend it with all those caveats. If you're a serious film goner, you're going to scrutinize it. Probably best to avoid it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so those are all my recommendations. Those are our recommendations for the week. And um, audience, we would like to, as we said many times in this episode, we do want to hear from you regularly and we definitely want to hear your questions. So if you're enjoying the podcast and you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the comments section when I put, put the post up for this week's episode or make your own posts in regards to this episode, or you can email us at secretoriginsmc at gmail.com. If you happen to be listening to this episode on the YouTube channel, please, you can subscribe to the channel and write your comments as well. And we'll respond to you there. And I couldn't do this episode without my co-host, so thank you, Joe. Oh, you're welcome, James. It was a pleasure. And thank you, Chris. Always happy to be here. And uh, we will talk to you next time. <laughs>